What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Deposit That podcast. First few episodes have been great, and we're looking to look to build on the foundation set on episodes one and two. Today, you're sitting here with, I'm sitting here with one of the guys that every time I see his name come across my phone first, I always bring a smile because I know it's strictly business, right to the point, no time wasted, efficient. And it's one of the uh, absolute gentlemen that I know I've had the pleasure of working with since he first started in his career on his own in both real estate and entrepreneurship. Let's everybody welcome Alex, right? Alex, welcome to the show today. Jeff, thank you for having me. It's super cool, not only because it's my podcast, but it's your first time on a podcast. That's right. The first time for everything. First time for everything. I'm glad to experience it with you. Likewise. So tell everybody a little bit about yourself where you started, where you grew up, mm-hmm. your home life, and then how you got into the business. So, so you guys know I'm Alex Wright. I grew up in New York. You know, it was me and my mom growing up, single family home. She was a teacher. So pretty much, you know, she did everything for me, you know, mother and father. I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. You know, I always had that spirit in me. You know, ever since I was 12, 13, 14, I'd be working, you know, if it's odd jobs, you know, or working at the supermarket or whatever I could do, you know, to to better myself and make money at that age. I think that's super important to touch on that real quick. Odd end jobs, right? Mm-hmm. I look at that as people who want to succeed that are the true entrepreneurs because they'll do whatever job it takes to get the job done or get paid. Of right? course. And especially when you don't have that much opportunity, you know, like nobody's, you know, saying, oh, I have this internship or that. It was just me and my mom. I didn't have those kind of connections. So basically I was willing to take, you know, whatever was available at the time, if it was a minimum wage job or whatever I had to do to just get to the next level. Yeah. So again, knowing you, I know that everything you do, you do with a purpose and you do it with pride. You make sure it's done the right way and not to be confused with your last name, which is right with a W, but that's one thing that I've always respected you for. I mean, that's one of the keys to success. You know, I don't do it for the money. I do it for the success and the money's a byproduct of, you know, being successful. So I always do it, you know, to be the best and to be successful. Okay. So you do your odd end jobs, 12, 13, 14 years old, then what? Kept on doing that, you know, till I was 15, 16, 17. And then by that point, I had, you know, saved up a good amount of money. And then I was looking, you know, to buy a building because I always knew I wanted to own, you know, own something. And what better to own than a building, right? Real estate. So I looked in New Jersey, New York, you know, already it, it was too expensive. You know, I probably had saved around 50000 So and How I, old are you at this point? 19, 20, okay. you know. And I was looking for the next closest, you know, market where I could, you know, buy a piece of real estate and uh, get started. So not with a million dollars either. No, 50,000. <laughs> so I looked all around, you know, and then I happened on Allentown, Pennsylvania, you know, which is about an hour, 20 minute drive, you know, right outside of uh, New York City. Went out there, took a look around the city. I mean, I saw it was growing, you know, hustling, bustling place. You probably got a population there of 120, 130,000 people. And you could obviously see it was like a city, you know, it's the third largest city in Pennsylvania. You have Philly, Pittsburgh, and then Allentown. And this place, it was just, you know, hurting. You know, you could see that. It was depressed. Yeah, it wasn't the place it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago when Hess's was there, you know, and all the uh, anchor stores. But it had good bones. It had good bones, you know, exactly what I was looking for. So wherever there's, you know, chaos, there's always opportunity, you know. So when I saw this place, I said, wow. I can buy this building for this amount of money and it's all mine. 50 G's? 50,000. You know, I can buy a beautiful brick building. Well, not beautiful. It was pretty dilapidated. A brick building. <laughs> Could be beautiful. With, with uh, a yeah. white coat all over yeah. it. But I said, wow, there's a restaurant on the bottom, you know, an apartment above. And it was vacant or it was full? There was a gentleman at the time who was running the restaurant, but he was struggling. Not you know, Yeah, he was. Uh, he owned the building, actually. Oh. 
but he was falling behind on his mortgage payments. The bank was going to take it. So, you know, I took a look at it. It's funny. I actually brought my mom to look at the building with me, you know? Gotta get mom's approval. Always, always. She, <laughs> mom, mom knows best, you know? Yeah. Mom knows. So I was looking at it and I was like, wow, this is, this is cool, you know? I could, I could actually do this. Now, when you went there, did you go there with the intentions and confidence of knowing you could do it? Or you went there almost just to kind of see what was out there, truthfully? I mean, I know I could do anything I put my mind to. But, you know, once I saw that I could buy all that, you know, for 50000 I said, wow. And this is a city, the third largest city in PA. I said, this is, this is the time and the place to do it. So walk me through this. So the property was actually how much for sale? It was probably around like 60, 70, 80, they were asking. And what did you actually acquire it for your first property? 50,000. 50,000. Cash. Then left you with no money in the bank. I mean, yeah, no money in the bank pretty much. I put everything into the building, you know. Now, once you put everything into the building, what did you do? You obviously got that tenant out. You kept the restaurant tenant. At this point, Jeff, I knew nothing nothing about construction. That's what we want to know. We want to know about early on. (laughs) I'm like 20, 21 years old. I know nothing about construction. You know, I'm here. Pretty much alone. You know, my mom was still teaching at the time. So she'd come down on the weekends, you know, just show me a little, you know, support. But basically, I mean, I was living in the building, sleeping on the floor, and it took me three years to get that renovated. And now, three years, 36 months. Yeah. Fast forward now, I mean. How quick would you do that now? 24 hours? <laughs> we ha- I Shorter? Mean, I, have, I have my own crew and everything, yeah, yeah, but yeah. To, to flip a build, well, we don't, we renovate it and hold it and rent, but, you know, to get that done now, a month, two months, because I have so, the crew. I have everything. So you're telling me you took a 36 month process from your first time, and you've streamlined it down to one month. Of course, brother. We do this to get. That's better. like 96 and a half percent more efficient. We do this to get better, man. So when you were sleeping on the floor, head on the ground, yeah. what? I had an arrow mattress. Did you fill it up with the air, or you just had the mattress? No, I, fi- I filled it up with the. You air. blew it up, man. You got a little hose to plug it in. <laughs> nah, nah. We were able to plug it in. It has electric power. Pump, pump. Exactly. So I guess my question to you is, what were the th- what were the negative thoughts that went through your head while you were sleeping on the floor and knowing that you had a 30-something-plus-month project probably ahead of you? I loved what I was doing, and it was a struggle, you know, because sometimes I didn't have the money to pay contractors. You know, at that point, I was still working, sure. you know, side jobs sure. to support sure. the real estate. So, you know, finding contractors, you know, knowing the right processes. You almost enjoyed the struggle. I embraced it, you know. I guess the only thing that I, when I was there alone, like, Fuck. I mean, it sucks. Everybody's going out having a good time. I'm here sleeping on the floor, you know, fixing this building not up. Not partying, not taking shots. Exactly. Yep. But I knew in my head that it's what it it's what it takes to get ahead, you know, and that's what I've been doing my whole life. So talk a little bit about the opportunity that you have with Soho Lofts, Cast Iron Lofts, and how that, I don't want to say propelled you forward, but how that gave you the hands-on experience of handling business. Because I look at you as corporate nine-to-five Gentleman, hard worker, handyman, super, but entrepreneur, real estate developer. So, like, not only did you do whatever it took, but you used a nine to five, full time, maybe even 24 7 opportunity that you were given to propel yourself forward and really catapult you into your career. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, I've been with Manhattan Building Company now about four to five years, and I started in real estate on my own about eight years ago now. So you asked me, Jeff, well, what are the benefits of, yeah. you know, working? For- yeah, you used a full-time job and experience for your own benefit. Not only did you get a paycheck and a nice apartment to live in, a beautiful mm-hmm. building with New York City views, but you used that. You got paid basically to train to do what you really wanted to do. So basically the owner of the company, Manhattan Building Company, uh, Sanford Weiss, he found out, you know, what I was doing on my own. And he was in a point where he was reorganizing the whole company. This is 
2012, 13. Yeah, right when we first met. Cast Iron Lofts 1 was being finished up. Found out what I was doing on my own, and he was reorganizing everything. And uh, he called me out of the blue. He said, look, you know, uh, I want you to meet me in Florida at my house. You know, I'm reorganizing the company. I think you can help me out. So fast forward now to 2019. I mean, I've been with them ever since, and now I'm running all the jobs pretty much going on. We have a thousand units going on at uh, Emerson. It's going to be called Emerson Lofts at the old Stacko factory. But basically, starting on my own eight years ago and then working for a big real estate development construction company. Well, he's done almost a billion dollars of construction, if not more, there's right? There's a billion of construction going on in all Jersey City. Yeah. But basically, I guess being able to work for that large company, I saw, you know, the processes and the way things work, you know, because mind you, when I first started on my own, Jeff, I was doing, you know, Single family homes, two units, three units, four units. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing. That's how you got to start. You got to start from the bottom. You got to know all the processes to do this at a really Zoning high level. Zoning laws, fire alarms, sprinkler systems. Exactly. That way nobody, you know. Buildings department. A hundred percent. So working for that larger company while I was still doing my thing on my own, I was able to see the processes. Okay, you got to go to planning. You have to, you know, get your architecturals done. You got to have the right legal team. You got to have the right construction team. So basically I was able to look at everything I was doing and look at this, you know, not a huge company, pretty small company for a billion dollars in construction. But I was able to look at that and say, wow, you know, this is what I want to grow my own company into one day. You know, this is the ultimate vision. You want to start at single family homes, two, three units. And eventually you want to be building, you know, beautiful 150, 200, 300 unit, you know, luxury apartment buildings. So I was able to see where I could take it to, and that helped my vision grow, you know, and I've been executing on it ever since. Five years ago when we first met, if you remember, you were looking to buy more properties. Obviously, mm-hmm. I referred to you by a girl from Manhattan, actually, was a realtor that had known you. She worked for Weikert in Jersey mm-hmm. at the time. I think you were trying to buy something in Jersey. Oh, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. That's how we originally yeah. met. Patricia Lamb was her Patricia name. Patricia Lamb, yep. I remember. And then we met, and I remember I came to your place on a Saturday. Yep. If you remember, I think your girlfriend at the time. Ex, was yeah, there ex girlfriend yeah. ex ex ex? Yeah. It came down Saturday, and we just hit it off day one. Uh, there was a mutual respect, a mutual understanding. We were both man five years. We were both like mid twenties, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We were like, wow, we both saw something in each other, right? I know I saw that in you. What do you believe was the catalyst for yourself, right, to put your trust in me to help you facilitate certain financing and hard money loans, right, for someone who's twenty five when you have connections all throughout the industry. I mean, I'm not going to lie, Jeff. When I first met you, I felt the energy. I felt the vibes. You know, I'm like, wow, this is a young guy like me. You know, he's doing it. You know, he knows how to network. You know, he knows the right people. And to be honest, Jeff, at that point, you know, I don't even think I've gotten a mortgage yet. So I didn't really have that many options. I was just getting started in the business. So we met up. You had this great energy, great vibes. And I said, okay, let's do it. You know, we did some deals together and we've, you know, been together ever since doing stuff. Talk about how hard money actually works. Yeah. I mean, because people okay. will say, oh, I don't want to do hard money. I don't do hard money. I don't do hard money. And I'm like, well, for the right person. And there are times, full disclosure, where I've said to you, dude, you don't need hard money here. Let's go down the convention route. You're like, no, no, no. I don't want the hassle. I don't want the appraisal. I don't want the red tape. I don't want to submit the paperwork. I want to borrow money at 12 and 2 or 10 and two, mm-hmm. 10% and 2 points, 12% and 2 points, right, mm-hmm. from the lender. Because it's ease. And I know I'm going to make $100,000 from paying the extra two, 3000 in interest. Mm-hmm. So basically what we did was, you know, I had one or two properties I was looking at that I knew were a great deal. You know, I didn't have the cash, but what I did have were properties that I owned free and clear. And a great name. That too. And that was my bank. So I said, you know, I, I, I need to acquire these properties. It's the right deal. 
you know, I need to do it. So called you, you said, okay, Alex, you know, I got this guy. I know, you know, he's a hard money lender, explained it to me. And basically what it was is, you know, it's very simple. Maybe let's say I own two properties, three properties. And I tell him I need, okay, I need $150,000 to make this purchase. He'll say, okay, I'll give you the 150,000. You know, I want to use those two properties they own free and clear as collateral, you know, 75,000 on each building, blanket mortgage on 75,000. That way, you know, the lender feels comfortable lending the 150 because they have the two properties, you know, just in case anything were to go wrong, even though nothing, you know, happened, everything goes good. So you're able to get that money and then you're able to purchase the property. You know, mind you, the rates, it's not four or 5%, but I feel very confident in knowing that this is the right deal I have lined up. So I'm more than willing to pay the 10%. It's, you know, easy. It's quick because in this business, timing's everything. Right. Your timing is everything. And Time is money. losing all cash. Is Correct. Huge you know, in your offer. So once you showed me that route, showed me the details, you know, he said, okay. Did it a couple times. Yeah, these t- we did it a bunch of yeah. times. And every time, super successful. Yeah. You know, the lender was happy. They made yeah. great returns on their. Paid their, on time, paid them off, everything. They made everything great returns out. 12, 13%, yep. Yep. paid them every month like clockwork. Yep. I got the property that I wanted, still own them today, yep. free and clear yep. now. You know, and they're producing income, but the hard money loan basically enabled me to purchase the property in a timely fashion, sure. you know, without having to go the traditional bank route. As an investor, as mm-hmm. somebody who is a negotiator, mm-hmm. deal guy, how do you analyze a deal? How do you underwrite your deal? And how do you look at the future use of a deal? Because I look at you as like, man, if I was playing Monopoly with you, I'd get my ass kicked every time. I used to but, love Monopoly but listen, up as a kid. You would have to come back to me for the money. You might win Monopoly, but I'm lending you the money, right? Okay. So you're playing Monopoly in real life, legitimately. Uh-huh. And I know when every time we speak and you're strategizing buying properties, you're like, listen, I bought properties one, two, five, and six. I really need three and four, but three and four is a supermarket. If I get the supermarket, I'm going to be able to put up 900 units opposed to 200 exactly. units. Like, exactly. how do you analyze these deals and how do you go in and negotiate? I'll be honest with you, Jeff. You know, when I going to the area. First of all, I only deal in Allentown, you know, and Jersey City, working for Manhattan. Focus on what, on what you know. I like to be the sharpshooter of my market, you know. I'm not a guy that's going to run around buying around, buying properties buying in Miami. Buying Tennessee, buying exactly. no, 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 no. Focus. I've been in Allentown seven years, yep. and I know that market like the back of my hand. I know every block, every house, every street corner, and I like to stick to one place so I can know everything and do it well. You know, it takes time to come into an area and Absolutely. learn the politics, learn uh, the Key market. players, everything. Exactly. Trends. So basically, I stuck to that area and I still stick to it to this day because I believe in it. But that way I can be super focused and be successful. But you asked me, you know, how do I know it's the right deal? I mean, when I go and look at the property, one, I just feel it in my gut. I feel it's it in my right. bones. Like, hey, this is a winner. or This is, eh, it's not so hot. It's not worth it. Another gauge for me is I don't, Buy anywhere I wouldn't live. I like to buy where I know I feel comfortable. Worst case scenario, having living. Exactly. Have you ever passed on a deal that you regret? No, I've been pretty, you know, successful. And have I mean, you have the most 20 part. buildings now. It doesn't make deals you could have passed on if you have 20 buildings by age 30, right? Yeah. <laughs> How many deals could you have passed on? <laughs> True. I mean, for the most part, I've been, you know, pr- really successful with all these deals and everything's, you know, turned out good, mm-hmm. knock on wood. But, you know, my boss always likes to say, Alex, the best deal, the best deal I did was the deal I never did. I tell you all the time, sometimes the best deal is no deal. But knock on wood, all the deals I've done, you know, to date, the deals we've done together, they've all been super successful. 
And I mean, we're here today talking. So how do you negotiate, right? So I'm assuming you've bought properties direct from another human. Of course. You've bought properties maybe at auction, maybe Uh, a short sale, maybe a foreclosure, maybe from a bank. So walk me through how you actually negotiate with the seller. What's your secret? Tell him what I want to do. I mean, just straight up. Flat out. If if he's asking, I don't know, maybe 140 for the property. but Maybe 20. But but I, I'm not, I'm not I know you negotiate. I'm not that cold. Jay. I know maybe it's worth like seventy, eighty. Yeah, this is what I'm willing to pay. You know, and see if we can do something. Now, do you put your offer out there, let it sit, and not follow up, or do you say, "Hey, listen, I gave you seventy thousand, and then a week later, follow up. Two weeks later, follow up. Three weeks later, follow up." What's your strategy on that? It depends on the person. You know, I can't say I have one strategy for everybody. It depends on the feel of the deal, you know, and who I'm dealing with. But I just take it on a case-by-case basis, to be honest with you. Let's talk about tenants. What's your personal process on screening tenants? First of all, we do everything in-house. Everything. We have our own in-house management, um, our own in-house construction. And that's one thing in this business that I learned you have to do. Or else you're getting robbed. One, most likely you're getting robbed. And two, you don't know the quality of the work because you're not controlling it. You know, let's say... I have a rental property, right? And uh, the tenant calls me, there's a leak, but I'm not there. I can't fix it. So I got to call some management company. It's $200 just to come out. It's another 150 an hour. Maybe it's just a small leak behind the, under the sink, you know, 20 bucks, a PEX connection came undone. You know, you're, you know, in another state. Now you're at 370. This guy's over there, you know, taking three, four hours to fix something that takes 20 minutes. And, And how would you know? You won't. So that, you know. I've always had my own in-house management and own in-house construction out of the fact that I didn't have the money, you know, to pay somebody $200. I had to do it myself. And that's why, you know, starting from the bottom and learning the business from the ground up is the best way because then you learn all the angles. Nobody can really fool you. What's your opinion on the market in general from what you're seeing trend-wise? Obviously, Jersey City, now I'm going to give an overall Macro view, Mm -hmm. right? Jersey City, affluent, New Yorkers are moving in, they're coming full force, Wall Street guys, millennials who are making some money, think they're, you know, all trying to keep up with the Joneses, if you will. Mm -hmm. Then you got to Allentown, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. What's that demographic like? And do you believe that as this area, Jersey City, Hoboken, Manhattan, gets so much more expensive, the cost of living keeps going up, that Allentown is going to benefit even more so from that? Oh, 100%. You know, as the rents in Jersey City, you know... Uh, I mean, they're through the roof. Go to four or 5,000. You know, you have a whole, you know, class of, you know, teachers, you know, middle class yeah. people that these rents, you know... Even retirees. Exactly. So the next closest city, you know, that's happening, you know, and stuff's happening is, is Allentown. I mean... I think there's a lot of good things coming down the pipe for that city. You know, there's a lot of loft buildings going up now. Have you basically taken Jersey City style, picked it up and put it in Allentown? Is that your goal? Pretty much with the Allentown flavor and Allentown style. But, you know, we're trying. Allentown lofts? (laughs) You know, what I want to do. A-town lofts. What I want to do is bring the quality of building and design out there that I think the people deserve. You know, I remember in Hoboken, the first elevator building. Probably went in in the late Skyline 80s. Skyline Law. Was Skyline Law. That, that, that actually, the boss of my company, he was the first yeah. one yeah. to put that yeah. building up. And before that, it was just all walk-ups. Yeah. You know? And what he explained to me, he said, Alex, without elevator buildings, it's hard you know, to, to get a... Pain in the butt. Exactly. Yeah, as you go up, the demographic decreases. So Nine-year-olds can't walk up. A hundred percent. So pretty much in Allentown, I mean, J.B. Riley started it, I think, in 2011. You know, uh, the NIS came into effect. And uh, he started building, you know apartment buildings and office buildings. He's been very successful. He's still building, you know, but that really kickstarted it, you know, and I was there already before that started, but 
I'm, I got the 22 unit project going on Riverview Lofts. I mean, with the momentum that he has and that uh, I have, you know, and there's probably going to be one or two other, you know, builders sure. doing some stuff out there. I think it's only a matter of time, you know, before that that area really sees, you know, what it's capable of and what it deserves, which is market rate apartments, a nice, you know, millennial crowd, students fresh out of college, you know, looking to be in a center city area where they can work, live, play. And I mean, I think that's just starting out there. You know, I think it's Jersey City 30 years ago. Talk about work-life balance, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you have 20 buildings. How many units are in those 20 buildings you have? Probably 30, 40, 50? In the 20 buildings, there's 40 units. So, okay, 40 units. So you have Mm -hmm. 40 tenants there, right? With Mm -hmm. the management company, I get it. Mm -hmm. You have a 40-unit development going on and a 22-unit development going on. And you have a full-time job, Mm -hmm. right? How do you find time for your own personal self, taking care of yourself, your own well-being, having nice lunches and dinners, Mm -hmm. right? Going to Dominican Republic, which I believe I saw a picture of you from (laughs) recently. How do you manage to do all that and still maintain a peace of mind? I mean, to be honest, Jeff, I've been grinding my butt off for the last seven years. I did none of that stuff that you mentioned for the last seven or eight years. You know, now I'm at a point where, you know, I'm starting to, you know, everything's starting to pay off and pan out that, you know, if I want to go out on the weekend for a dinner or go away for a week, you know. I could do it, you know, not so, as much as I want. But. I think that's so super important. So like, you know, like yourself, so from tw- me from being 20, so let's call it from 2000, end of 2007, early, mm-hmm. early 2008, truthfully until about 2016 plus or minus, about eight years, right? But really for the first four years, nine, 10, mm-hmm. 11, and 12, right? Didn't take a day off, worked, killed myself, sacrificed going away with friends, sacrifice going on two, three day getaways, mm-hmm. whatever, dates with girls, mm-hmm. you name it, mm-hmm. anything I wanted to do. The only thing I did, truthfully, was play fly football on Thursday night for three years. And I only played three seasons because I didn't want to take my ass out in the cold, right? right. That's what I lived for, playing an hour of flag football in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. right, coming from the Bronx and driving an hour there peaceful to unwind. Do you regret those sacrifices that you made? Do you feel like you missed out on anything? Not one bit. Because to be honest, Jeff, it's what I love to do. Well, you're getting better looking as time goes on. So, you know, it's going to benefit you, right? <laughs> you know? I mean, I love I loved every minute of it. I love the struggle. You know, you got to embrace it. And I think that's what builds greatness. So I just embraced it. And I mean, here I am now, you know. And, and also, too, the best part about it, Jeff, is me being in the position that I'm in. I'm fortunate enough to be able to help other people and put them on, you know, to show them the way. Okay, you can do this, you can do that, and you can become successful in the same way that I did. Do you think that's because you experienced the A to Z? Now talk about somebody who's had something versus what you went through. When you got to do it on your own, it's, it's a struggle. I mean, you really appreciate it and you learn the whole process. You know, this is a perfect example. Let's say, you know, somebody inherits, you know, a million bucks. They, they go and they got a million bucks. They could buy any building they want. How do they know how to value? How do they know if it's the right deal? They didn't earn that money. It was just get, and they don't know the market. I mean, when you have 50000 that you worked pretty much your whole life and you saved up, I mean, you're going to make damn sure it's the right, right value. And also, too, you can't go buy some crazy building. I mean, it's 50000 Right. If you can buy a building you're for 50000 I mean, you're in pretty <laughs> good it. shape, Take right? It. Take it. So. Local areas that are going to benefit from, obviously, Jersey City and Hoboken. Like, is this something where you say, hey, I like Newark, or I like West New York, or I like Weehawken, or I like wherever you know what i'm saying i mean what's next for you if allentown once allentown becomes oversaturated overbuilt overdeveloped in your sense like there's only so much of allentown pa do you then go to the outskirts of allentown pa or do you find the next pocket 
somewhere in America, like in Allentown. Well, to be honest, Jeff, in Allentown, I'm concentrated. All my properties are concentrated in Center City okay. and on the waterfront. The development I have going on, Riverview Lofts, the 22 unit, that's right on the waterfront. Oh, beautiful. So um, I see a lot of legs in the market in Allentown. I mean, it's, it's just starting. Yeah. Development. Still early. It, the development really just started in like 2012, 13. And I mean, it takes 20 or 30 years to really build a city. Look at Jersey City, Hoboken. So I don't see that stopping anytime soon. Um, as far as Jersey, I mean, I'm super focused on, you know, just Jersey City with all the work that we have there, all the jobs sure. I'm running. Sure. Basically, I'm running the day-to-day, day-to-days of the company and I'm overseeing the construction site. So, I mean, it's just a full-time grind and I'm just super focused. How many guys have you seen come and go? And obviously you're only 30, mm-hmm. right? I say only you're 30 with the experience of a 60-year-old. Like I say, I'm 32, but I look like I'm 50 sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, depending on the day. Okay. How many guys have you seen come and go that want to be developers, that want to be real estate investors? And what do you think the main reason is that they turn over every second? Truthfully, they come and go like literally like pissing in the wind. I mean, I think maybe just life gets in the way for them. Maybe, you know, they're not that focused on it. Maybe they're not that determined. When I started out, I mean, there was a few other, you know, guys, you know, buying buildings. To be honest, I'm sure they're probably still around, but, you know, I don't see them doing like larger projects like 22, you know, 30 unit buildings. I'm sure they're still doing what they're doing, but they're not, you know, building new buildings. Let's target this to like the 18 to 22 year old age range right now. Male, female, doesn't matter. Someone who's 18 to 22 years old right now, whether you're just getting out of high school, in college, getting out of college, or just living on your parents' couch. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend them to get into real estate if by the time they are 30, they want to be you? What route would you take step by step? I tell them, stay at home for as long as they can a few years. I agree. <laughs> work, work two or three jobs, yep. save up every penny, and then start researching. Start looking at areas you know that you think you could afford, that's in your budget, and that you think would be you know, a good place to make an investment you know, that you believe in. That's what I'd recommend. And also, I'd recommend... you know talking to as many people as you can and, you know, asking questions, you know, because I always like to say, look, I, I don't know everything, you know, I know what I know, but I know what I don't know. And I know someone that knows what you need. To exactly. Know. <laughs> so if I don't know it, I'm going to make sure I right. go out right. and find that guy that knows. And that's been one of the keys to my success as well. So they say in real estate in order to succeed in development specifically, mm-hmm. right? Real estate in general, but really development, mm-hmm. you have to have a vision. Mm-hmm. How do you define vision based on execution and facts versus dreaming. Like I could walk down the street and say, hey, I want to build this 700, you know, story tower, right? That's a dream. But the vision is, hey, I want to take these four rundown buildings and put up 50 units with a bowling alley underneath. You know what I mean? How do, how do, you, how do you separate those two between dreaming and reality in real estate? Got to have balls and you got to have your word. Man, you know, pretty much every time I do it, I lay my balls on the line. You know, if it's signing a construction loan with the bank, yeah, PG you know, and everything, personal, guarantee. everything. Yep. I personal guarantee yep. all my and stuff because I stand behind it and I know I'm going to deliver the product. A lot of times that difference between a dream and reality is just having the wherewithal. To, all right, I'm going to do this. Look, I don't know exactly how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to be there every day, every night and I'm going to get it done. And I mean, I think that's what's propelled me to where I am today. I know like myself, you're a handshake guy. Like your word means everything. You handshake, like, you know, signing documents is just a formality. You're only, it's only as good as the who person taught, behind Who me. taught you that though? Being, being at Manhattan Building Company, I always heard, you know, the owner of the company say that. He'd say, look, he said, Alex, he, and he said this to everybody in the room, you know, because he always personally guarantees everything yep. after 30 so, years in the building. He'd say, look, all these documents, anybody could sue you for any little reason. Yep. 
these documents, these signatures yeah. are only as good as the man or woman behind the yeah. paper yeah. signing it. Yeah. And it's, it's true, 100%. How do you feel the industry goes as time goes on with affordable housing, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously affordable housing is the number one, one of the number one issues mm-hmm. in our area, affordable anything, but affordable housing. How do we solve that? And, you know, obviously no Jersey City, but specifically Jersey alone, with taxes being so high, cost of living being so high, mm-hmm. how do we help the middle class, which of is course. really like the poverty class now, because really you're either in today's day and age, you're either well off or well not off. Mm-hmm. How do we handle those issues? Because obviously people need to work in Manhattan, they mm-hmm. need to raise their family, they need to have a quality of life, and many people are struggling with that. What's I, your solution? I think builders, developers, you know, need to work with city government and planning to find a solution that works for everybody, you know? Okay, so you know, let's say maybe we're gonna you need us to set aside, I don't know, ten percent workforce housing, you know, some affordable. Okay. Work with, you know, us on the density, you know, some of the other requirements so we can make the numbers work. You know, me personally, I'd love to do, you know, as much as possible, but I got to make sure at the end of the day that the numbers work. So my recommendation would be, you know, just builders, developers working hand in hand with city government and planning that if affordable housing is something they want in that city, you know, to make it feasible for the builder. Okay, we want you to set aside 10 percent. You know, but we're willing to, you know, work with you on density and requirements so your numbers still work and everybody can be happy. That's what I would say about that. Two main problems that you see in Hoboken right now, in Hoboken, New Jersey, and even Manhattan, Mm -hmm. right, all over. I'm sure Jersey State a little bit, not as much. Homelessness Mm -hmm. and vacant retail storefronts. Now, because you have mixed-use buildings yourself, Mm -hmm. right, you have experience in that, how do you combat homelessness and then vacant storefronts? I mean, those two issues are... And it's going to be getting worse as time goes on. But how do you what do you do to help that? I mean, homelessness, I would say more that's, you know, an issue with city government, you know, city government, local leaders, you know, maybe get together, you know, find out what's going on, offer more resources. You think more homeless shelters or to be honest, Jeff, I don't know exactly what the solution yeah. is on that, but because it affects all of us. A hundred, a hundred percent, you know, I, but I would say mentally is, or financially, what I would say is, you know, look, get the stakeholders to the table, find out the issues and let's, you know, come up with a solution. I would say, like you, you know. Being in mortgages, I put thousand people into homes, mm-hmm. and every time I go to New York City, I see a couple hundred homeless people. Like, I how see do you it all put the time great too. people in the homes, but then you have so many people without homes? You know, it's been an issue. It's been around for ever, at, forever. And it will be you know, <laughs> but I don't think we're going to solve it one hundred percent. But what we can do is work to combat it and lessen it. So, you know, like I said, you know, get the stakeholders together, find out what the issues are, and find out the best way to solve them. As far as uh, vacancies, retail vacancies, I mean. I think a lot of everything's digital now. You know, you got Amazons, you got everything online. So I think that the storefronts need to work to, you know. Are most landlords just unrealistic and not being like, hey, look, I was getting 6000 a month now. Now I can only get four. I'm not getting anything less than 6000 Meanwhile, they're losing 6000 or 4000 a month. Like I see like, they're, obviously we know small landlords are not always the sharpest tools in the shed and they're usually greedy and they're not good business people. But at what point after your vacancy has been vacant? For so long, do you just say, okay, take 4000 a month? The numbers are what the numbers are. You got to listen to the market. I mean, if you're getting $0 a month for the speed, you're getting what, zero, zero, zero. <laughs> Half a zero. I mean, zero. I'd take four grand or whatever sure. so over zero anything. My advice would be to anybody with any empty spaces is look, look at the market, look at what the numbers be are, realistic. and be realistic and cut a deal. I mean, you got a space sitting empty. It's not doing anybody any good. How long do you personally leave a space marketed for vacant before you actually come down on your number? A few months. A couple months. You know. Before you're like, let's just get somebody, the right tenant in there for the right price. Yeah. 
Now, do you do all your leases or does your management company? We do it in-house. You do. Your management company handles everything. Yep. How do you know when to give a tenant, a residential tenant that's mm-hmm. living in one of your apartments, certain breaks or certain credits or certain, hey, live for free or, hey, waive the security deposit? That's a very good question, How do you Jeff? make that determination? So listen, I'm a very, you know, I'm a gentleman. I'm a very easy guy to work with. I so for that. with my tenants, I take it on a case-by-case basis. If I have a, you know, specific tenant, they say, Alex, look, I'm on hard times. I can't get you all the rent this month on the first, but I'll get you, you know, 200 every week or whatever. I say, okay, fine. Yeah. But- they have to follow that. You know, if they're following that, I have no yeah. problem with that. You know, I have some tenants I've been working with. They've been with me, you know, three, four years now. It's the same thing every month, but I know the money's going to be there and I know they'll honor their word. Yeah. If I have somebody that, you know, says that and they say, okay, we'll pay you this money on XYZ date and it happens one time or maybe even two or three continuously, I'll say, look, you know, I, I tried the best I could. I, this it just isn't going to work. So I take it on a case-by-case basis. How long before you start an eviction process? Well, Say someone jerks you around two, three, four times, and you're like, all right, enough's a enough month. now. A month. So you, month do, you, change, you give maybe. enough time to remedy the situation. Okay. Advice for people who want to switch careers mm-hmm. from their 9-to-5 corporate job at 40 or 50 years old, do you advise them to try and get into real estate this late in the game? Listen, if you have dreams, you got to go follow your dreams, whatever is your age, because you got to be happy, right? My advice to them, to anybody, would be that once to get started in this business, would be if you have a 9-to-5, keep the 9-to-5 on the side and use it as a resource. Because real estate, you know, you can pretty much do it at any time of the day. You can work from home, from the computer, wherever. Keep your nine to five, use that as a resource and dip your feet in and get started. Now, you're a buy and hold develop guy. Mm-hmm. You could have obviously started with fixing and flipping, right? Mm-hmm. So when you only had $50,000, you bought your first property mm-hmm. for 50, put 20 into mm-hmm. it, you sold it for 150, mm-hmm. made 80,000, mm-hmm. take that 150, mm-hmm. buy two more. Now you got three properties, right? Why did you not fix and flip in order to build up your stack? I'm generational, brother. I mean, I'm thinking about the future when I have a family one day. I'm, I'm generational. And also, too, you know, I want to really build the city up that I'm in. You know, I'm not in it for the short term. I'm in it for the long term. And in order to do that, you got to be able to hold on to your buildings and maintain them and uh, just keep on working at it. So that's my menta- I have always have a long term mentality. So you're 30 years old right now. Mm-hmm. What currently without your 62 units on the development, how much rent are you bringing in every month on your 40 <laughs> units? Maybe between, I don't know, let's say a thousand bucks a month. So you have forty thousand a month yeah. rent roll. Yeah, unless your expenses, that's before expenses, yeah, taxes, you know. insurance, repairs, exactly. everything else. What would you recommend a good number for? Say someone's bringing in forty thousand dollars a month mm. for a landlord. What should they target to net on that forty thousand mm. from managing the properties themselves versus not managing themselves? Like, at what point does it become worth it? You know what I mean? And at what point does it become not worth it? If you're bringing in 40, but you're walking away every month net in your pocket, three, four grand, that doesn't really seem worth it for all the, the risk. The way I see it, Jeff, yeah. if you can hold your buildings hold. and make money every month, it's a win. Because your buildings are your bank. Sure. And that's the way I always looked at your it. Buildings are your we'll, bank. we'll go back to the hard money loans. Yeah. I mean, those buildings are the bank. Sure. I can come to you and say, hey, Jeff, you know, I want to do a loan for 150. Yeah, okay, tomorrow. what no. buildings are we going to put up as yeah. collateral? Okay, we'll do XYZ. They put the lien on the building. The money's there a week later. So as long as you're making money every month and you're able to hold your buildings, I mean, it's, it's a win. Did you think at age 20, you would be where you are today, age 30? I didn't know where I was going to end up. I just knew I was going to keep doing it till I was successful. Have you ventured into anything else other than real estate or real estate development? Any other businesses, anything? Pretty much always been a real estate guy ever since I bought my first building. What I will say is in the first building, I, uh, I ran a restaurant for a little bit. I had a little pizzeria shop on the first floor. And let me tell you. The, you took it over? You opened it up yourself? I opened it up. It was a Spanish restaurant. <laughs> Did you like pizza? 
I like pizza, yeah. <laughs> so it was a Spanish restaurant earlier with the previous owner. Sure. You know, and when he sold it to me, I renovated the whole place. Beautiful, exposed brick, everything. So I opened up a pizzeria on the first floor. And let me tell you, Jeff, I found out personally the retail food business is not horrible, for me. Horrible. Kudos, yeah. <laughs> hands off to yeah. anybody that does it. It is not easy. Pleasing the customers 24-7 and putting out, you know, quality Flipping food. And you got to be, you know, at the place 24-7, you know, the restaurant business. Yeah, cash, of course. I tried to dip my feet in it. Just wasn't worth it. And you at that at an early age, though. It wasn't for you. Yeah. And at that point, I was able to, you know, successfully lease that space out. To, to a pizza place? No, to a Spanish restaurant. Right, actually, it's still Spanish. there today. Mi Casita Dulce. If you're in Allentown, by the way, yeah. check them out on 5th and Gordon. They have the best Spanish food in the city. Enchiladas? Everything. Oh, I love enchiladas with green sauce. It's like my, my jam. I order it all the Anything time. and everything you could want. Now, is Seamless, has technology gotten out there? Uber, Seamless, is that all in Allentown? It's out yet? there. It's a little slower yeah, than Jersey yeah, City, yeah. New York, yeah. and you know, um, LA or maybe some of that. But it's, it's out there, Uber, Grubhub. It is. It is. And I think slowly but surely, you know, the people are starting to use it more and more. What in Allentown is the driving force of the economy? Are people living out there, again, to retire, young? What's the community like? What's the commerce like? Before and now, it's been a lot of factory jobs. You know, Amazon's big out there. Um, like Hoboken was. You have seven colleges out there. Wow. You know, big college town. You have a lot of hospitals. But now, you know, um, there's more tech. More tech jobs are coming there. You Cheaper. Know. Yeah. And as the uh, office buildings are built and the new loft buildings are built, you know, we're starting to get the kids fresh out of college, the millennials that You're are in tech. Them. Yeah, it's, it's happening, you know, slowly but surely, but it's happening now. So what's next for you? More what's developments? Just keep on doing what I'm doing, Jeff. You know, I'm um, just staying focused on the 22 unit, making sure that uh, it's you know completed successfully on time and under budget. Moving forward to the next project after that, running the office here in Jersey City for Manhattan Building Company, making sure you know all the jobs are moving smoothly. Same thing on time and under budget. I mean, that's that's my main focus. What is the number one thing you want listeners to take away? From all your knowledge, all your experience, all 30 years, 360 months, which usually people take out a 30-year mortgage, you, if you were born, would have just paid your mm-hmm. 360th payment. What would you want them to take away from this interview? Chase your dreams and your goals, and don't ever let anybody tell you can't do something. Because I have people, you know, tell me, oh, you're crazy, blah, 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 this area is no good, you Why know. Are you doing that? And they were probably just telling me that because they probably couldn't do it themselves or they didn't have the wherewithal to do it. So my advice out there to everybody listening would be chase your dreams and your goals, get as much information as possible, be as educated as possible. And if you want something, just go for it. I think that's super awesome. Now, one of my very, very good friends, hedge fund guy, he'll be actually one of our next guests, says, ignore the crowd, right? Mm-hmm. When I started a business, I was super young, just like yourself. Mm-hmm. The average person that is succeeding in our respective industries is probably 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years older than us. Mm-hmm. How do you determine who's the crowd and how do you determine who's actually looking out for your best interest? When I when I meet somebody and I talk to them, I can usually see you know somebody right away. Okay, Instantly. hey, he thinks the same way I am. He's a player, you know. Um, he knows the business, you know. He's I can usually you know spot it. I can usually sniff it out right away. Do you ever override someone you respect's decision? Hey, Alex, don't do this. Do this, and you're like, no, no, no. I'm gonna do what I do because I believe in this vision. How do you figure that out? The way I do it, you know, Jeff is I have you know people you know that work for me. I'll always take their advice, you know, I'll filter it and I'll say, hey, you know, this is a great idea and I'll take it under consideration. I'll take that in with what I want to do. Ultimately, you know, it's my decision at the end of the day, but I always make sure to listen to the people around me. So when I execute my decision, I know what to watch for because a lot of times the people around me, 
they might not see the whole bigger picture that I see, but they see little details that I might not see because I'm a visionary. You know, I'm seeing the big picture, controlling everything. So I always make sure to listen to the people around me. And, you know, when I make my decision, I tell them, you know, look, guys, this is the way I'm going to go. You know, thank you for your advice. I'm always super respectful. You know, that's the way I operate. You know, I, I make the decision, but I always make sure to listen and take the advice of the people around me, you know, because all those opinions matter. And they're there in the trenches with me every day, day in and day out. So I value their opinion 100%. Do you think people should go to a Home Depot and try and make the repairs themselves? Or do you think they should hire professionals, truthfully? I think people are limited to what their options are. So meaning when I started my first building, you know, I didn't have money to go out and hire right. a fancy contractor. I would hire somebody by the day, you know, or I'd go to Home Depot. I'd probably get the materials and then just pay him, you know, for the labor. You're limited to what your options are at that point. Now, you know, I'm putting up a 22 unit building right there on the waterfront, you know, knock on wood, I'm at the point where I can personally guarantee a, you know, construction loan. And, you know, we could do everything, sure. you know, with the best contractors, you know, the everything. High end quality. Exactly. But I mean, for that might not be possible for everybody based on where they're at. So my advice, you know, to everybody would be look at your options and make the best decision based on your circumstances, but always, you know, strive for better and always look for the best you know, route possible. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Wright, 30 years old, 20 individual buildings and two development sites totaling 62 units coming up by the end of 2020. Super excited for having you on here. I hope everyone listens. And uh, what's your Instagram so everyone can follow you now that you're new Instagram's to Instagram? Instagram's AXWright1. He ain't Mr. Right, he's Mr. Right now. <laughs> Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jeff.